Turn with me, friends, this evening to the passage that we read in this love song, the Song of Solomon, and we'll just read again the last verse of chapter 4, verse 16. Awake, O north wind, come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. We began this communion season by looking at the garden where sin was first committed, that beautiful paradise that was lost in Eden. And uh, long after our first parents were discharged from that place, a king arose, a messianic king, a king, a forerunner of King Jesus, and was inspired to write this song of love in which he portrayed the relationship of Christ with his people. And so our endeavor tonight, friends, is to study a little uh, of our relationship with the Lord Jesus. What is how can you describe your relationship with Jesus? We're about to, we're preparing anyway for that intimate feast of love of Christ, the Lord's Supper. And to prepare for it, we need to examine again our affections and our desires for Christ. And um, there may be some who are wondering and perhaps have a longing to be able to express what Christ means to them. They have had a growing interest, so much so that they would have to confess that Jesus is the chief interest now in their lives and their chief desire, but they have not had the confidence to express that and there have some doubts as to their interest in Jesus. And perhaps um, as we look at this relationship so beautifully expressed, we will, they will, and all of us will Confirm our love for our Savior. And uh, we be, we're going to look at this passage in 
four ways about this garden. First of all, a walled garden. Then a watered garden. Then a windswept garden. And lastly, an occupied garden. We begin with a walled garden. Perhaps you've visited some of these uh, great houses of the nation and uh, their great walls and rooms and there never fails to be alongside them a high-walled garden where the inhabitants could have prepared for them the best of fruits and other things to satisfy all their needs. That wall was there, as you know, to separate, separate the tender plants from the wild outside. And um, perhaps the children have read about the secret garden, about how some children uh, discovered a great wall near to their house and they found a door and they entered in to this strange and wonderful world shut off from everywhere else and it became a very precious and secret place where they were able to go and enjoy themselves. Our friends, this is our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We all have that secret garden describing our relationship with the Lord. It is walled, it says here, In the beginning of verse 10, how fair is my love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine. A garden enclosed is my sister. A garden enclosed. And of course, Christ is here talking about the, his exclusive relationship. He has an exclusive relationship with each one of you who knows him. He has developed that relationship with you. And he has shared with you himself as if you were the only one. There is first of all the exclusive sister why does he call us sister? Well, friends, he calls us exclusive sister because he is a unique brother. He is here delightfully expressing the fact that he has become one of us. He has become bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And this is a great treasure to him that he should have the same human nature that you have, even the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't take a perfect humanity. 
he took on the nature that he inherited from Mary, yet without sin, but it had the flawed failings and weaknesses that we all have. He wanted to do that. He wanted to be take part in our infirmities and to experience them. This is love, isn't it? This is love. Do you know how the Savior loves you? You know how he understands your spiritual and physical disabilities? And so he develops that exclusive, intimate acquaintance with you. And it goes on from day to day as you take up your Bible, as you listen to his word, as you go through the challenges, discouragements, and progress of each day. So he is sharing a relationship with you which is exclusive because of his humanity. He's also, he talks of us as the exclusive spouse because he has a romantic relationship with us. Do you know this? The whole creation was made because of romantic love. That's why it's such a travesty that holy matrimony is now being presented to people that have no right to it and is grossly misrepresented. These people do not understand that our whole salvation And the whole church was created so that Christ might satisfy his love on us and that we might be satisfied with him. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a world made. There wouldn't have been a Garden of Eden. There wouldn't even have been sin if it wasn't the almighty, sovereign God's way of giving his son a bride. No wonder, friends, that he talks about his relationship with us as a romantic relationship and express he is the bridegroom and we are his spouse. And um, if we know anything about the customs of marriage in the time of Solomon, we know that every husband had to pay for his bride. There was no marriage until the dowry was paid in full. And then they could enter into that wonderful, rich relationship. And so as soon as Christ mentions us as his spouse, he is saying, I have paid for you. You are mine. I've paid the full price. You know the price. It was a price in blood. All these agonies, all that shame, all that humiliation. Laying aside of his glory. That he might have you. He was willing 
Why was he willing? It was love. That's the way he loves you. He paid the extreme price. Out in South Africa, we used to hear of young men that loved a girl and they had to go along to their father and ask, how much must I pay? Sometimes it was 12 cows. Sometimes if they'd been up in the mines, they had to pay a certain um, year's wages or something like that. But it was painful. It was a costly thing to gather that labora, hand it over, and then he had a right to that girl. Friends, Christ has a right to you, does he not? You don't belong to anyone else. You can't give yourself to anything. You can't give yourself to the world, as so many do, or to your own pet ambitions and hopes and interests. No, you belong to him and no one else. It's an exclusive relationship. There's a wall around it. No one must breach that wall. And then she talks about this garden as an exclusive Spring. My spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. What does it mean, friends? It means, of course, that there is there are depths, like a deep well, there are depths in your soul, in your heart, in your nature from which Christ would draw out the treasure of your devotion and love. How deep has he gone in your heart? Are you willing to let him have everything? Or there are still corners and recesses in your soul that you've kept shut? Oh, friends, these don't belong to anyone else. But why hold on to them yourself? Let that well spring up, because only he is worthy to drink from that well of your affection and devotion. When you pray, when you trust, when you suffer and sacrifice, when you fast, as we should do in a fast day, when we do this and that, when you're devoted to your master and Lord, does he have you? Are you his and his alone? That's the way we need to prepare to remember him. A walled garden and then a watered garden. And that follows off on from what we have said. Because that a garden has a well, that well gives life to the garden. That source of the well, of course, deep down, is the source of life that he puts in us himself. But we must water that garden of ours with 
from that well so that it can blossom and bloom and bear fruit. And this is the mark of those who are truly his. You are cultivating that garden. We could spend the whole night looking at all the rich and beautiful things in the garden. It says, thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphor with spikenard, spiker and saffron. Excuse me, there are three things first we can mention just to elucidate, and we will mention the orchard of pomegranates. You probably know the word pomegranate means great apple. The origin of the word, a great apple, and it was reckoned to be the most richest and wonderful fruit. It's a long tradition about pomegranates, and of course you know that it's there, they were present in the in the high priest robe, they were present on the pillars of the temple. Uh, they were present uh, in the rich fruits that the, the spies brought from the promised land. And uh, that's where it's first mentioned, I think. And so these pomegranates were a symbol of the promised land. Every time a Jew saw a pomegranate, he said, oh, this reminds me that our fathers were there in the wilderness. No fruit, no cucumbers, as they complained about. Only manna and water and meat. No pomegranates. But when they reached the promised land, there on the trees they hung. These pomegranates, the sign that they had reached the promised land. And friends, this is what we find in this garden. Because he, he, he prepares this garden and we are to water it. And we are uh, to rejoice in these. I remember we had a pomegranate tree in Cape Town. And we tried to water it and fertilize it. And it only produced one pomegranate in all the nine years we were there. What a shame. It grew, it had leaves, it looked healthy, but only one fruit. Does that describe our, our lives? Where is the fruit? Where is the multiple pomegranates, the evidence that we are on our way to the promised land, that the promised land is being claimed by us, the rich inheritance promised of old. It speaks about henna, doesn't it? Henna was used to decorate the bride before her wedding. Here it is in the garden, waiting for the great day of the marriage feast. And the great celebration in preparation, it is planted there. Friends, are you planting your henna? Are you preparing such things as will uh, make the king desire you on that day 
when he comes, and even now, what do we prepare for him? This is the orchard. There were other trees mentioned also. It says, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices. And um, these were very rich and rare things. They weren't normally grown in Palestine. Normally, uh, caravans of camels had to go all the way to Persia, where these rare plants were gathered. And great sums were paid to bring them back from that far country. But friends, here they are, available, treasured plants behind the wall of this garden. Isn't that fre fre wonderful, friends? Yes, the very treasures of heaven, heavenly graces, are to be planted in our garden as we seek that fruit of the Holy Spirit to enrich us. Saffron and Calamus were flowers eh, that represented peace. Peace for the anxious. What flowers are in our garden? When the Savior comes to us, friends, what does he find? I think flowers represent our prayers. Do they not? Think of each prayer that you pray. It's like a little flower. Presented before the son of righteousness. And waiting for him. How many prayers have you prayed today? Perhaps you're just a little child. Your prayer is just like a little daisy there. Perhaps you're long on the way and your prayers are like um, a cherry tree full of blossoms. But they're all the one thing, all of these flowers. Isn't it wonderful to go into a garden to see banks of flowers here and there, such a variety. So Christ looks into his garden and sees the flowers of our prayers. How many is he seeing? Is there prayer ascending from us at this communion season, from our homes, from our bedside? His prayers are rising and Christ is seeing, rejoicing. Sometimes he doesn't pluck these flowers. We have to keep waiting for an answer. But they're all there waiting for his attention. Let's have these prayers, multiple banks of prayers, bank beds of blossoms. They're spikenard and myrrh. These speak of, of course, of sorrow and death and comfort in times of sorrow and death. Yes, these are the times when our prayers arise from grieving and broken hearts. But they're beautiful in the sight of our Savior. Even when they are prayed with tears, how precious they are when they're offered up to a saviour, a watered garden. And then there's a, a windswept 
garden. Yes, these flowers are there, these rich things. They're all shut in there. But that's not the full intention. The full intention is that our relationship with Christ should result in proclaiming and glorifying our Savior to the whole world. And yet so often we're shut up, aren't we? Our faith is shut in behind these walls. So that we have to say, awake, O north winds, blow upon my garden. I've been shut in too long. My witness needs to carry over there to these relatives, to these neighbors, to this dry wasteland. Oh, that the fragrance of my love for Christ and his love for me which spread beyond these walls. And we need the north wind, friends. What's the north wind? Oh, it brings bright weather, but it brings a chill. Why? Because we're asleep. We need to be wakened. Waken up, friends. Feel the wind. Remember what Ezekiel said, was told to do. To prophesy to the winds from north, south, east, and west. Well, it's the north wind, the spirit coming to challenge, to stir, to rebuke, to waken us up. Otherwise, our witness will be worthless. Do you feel the wind blowing? Do you feel that wind blowing through your soul, friends? Are you still slumbering or are you awakening tonight to uh, uh, the, the, this, the burden to spread your knowledge of the precious Savior to others that they might share in the fragrance of that garden? Why keep it to yourself? Wake, O north wind, and come thou south wind. The south wind is warmer and it brings the rain. It brings the showers that renew the garden and refresh it. Friends, are you praying for the spirit to come in? Did you feel the spirit here this night? As we began our worship, wasn't he stealing into your soul and quickening and stirring you and awakening you to your... Eh, to the love of Christ for you and the wonder of your relationship with him. A windswept garden, the north wind, the south wind, the spreading spices. Oh, how Stornoway needs this fragrance of these spices, these evidences that Christ has suffered and died and risen again, that he is alive, that he is in our midst. And so, friends, we finish with the occupied garden. This garden is waiting for something and is expressed in this prayer, let my beloved come into his garden. And you're feeling that ache, friends. Let my love 
Beloved, come into his garden. Come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. This is what we want in the Lord's day and every day. Oh, Lord Jesus, dwell with us. Show yourself. We are dead and lifeless unless he comes. Behold, he comes. It says in Song of Solomon, come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruit. Isn't this a wonder of wonders? If he delights to have what we can offer him. Oh, you see, I've got nothing to offer him. Yes, you have. He's been at work. Just confess what's been happening to you over these past days and months. God has been at work. He's been preparing you and fitting you the more to enjoy him. There have been hard things, discouragements, blessings, losses, grief, tears. Just tell him that's what he wants. Just share. He says, I'm stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in. I will sup with him and he with me. We'll share. I'll share myself. You share yourself. He will eat of his pleasant fruits. Let him come. Oh, come. And he says, I will come. And what does he come with, friends? I have eaten. He comes with a report. This is what he wants to share. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. Yes, he did, didn't he? That's the resurrection day, isn't it? Remember when he was in the upper room and they gave him honeycomb? It's the badge, the symbol of his resurrection, his risen life. I've done it. I am he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore. It's the honey for your soul. And he'll share it with you. I've come. He said, I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. So that was a painful harvest, wasn't it? He had to go through all the sorrows and shame of Calvary. He had to be laid there in the tomb with that myrrh and that spice. And he brings it, he says, doesn't that satisfy you? I've been to that cross. I've been in that grave. And now I am alive. And that's my message. That's my report. I've done it all. And I'm the living saviour. And I offer you eternal life. So then what do we do? We accept his invitation. Eat, oh friends, drink. Drink abundantly, oh beloved. What are you waiting for? The table is spread. It's open for you. You who love to hear of Christ. You who feel broken and ashamed and worthless and a failure as far as your Christianity is concerned. Come, friends. It may be the first time, but come to the session tonight and say, 
I'm just like that. I'm so useless, but I want Christ. Nothing will satisfy me except him. Listen to Jesus, he's speaking to you. Eat, oh friends, drink. Drink abundantly because I love you. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, gracious Saviour, we thank thee that we thank you that you love us. We thank thee that thou dost care for all our burdens and sense of inadequacy and unpreparedness and disobedience and hesitation and doubts and fears. All you want, Lord, is for us to confess and say, Lord, this is me. This is what I am. Will you have me? We thank thee, Lord, that thou art willing. Oh, how willing. This is his great desire. He gave everything for us that we might be near him, that he might hear our voice, our prayers, and that we might be there at the table to share in the evidence of his broken body and of his blood shed for us. Grant it, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.